Well, let's pray once again and ask God to be with us as we study his word. Father, we ask for the presence of your Holy Spirit. We thank you that we have sensed his presence with us already. But we confess that if we are left to ourselves, we will not profit from the hearing of your word. We need your Holy Spirit to come and open up our minds and our hearts to understand and receive and then believe and obey your word. And we pray that through the preaching of your word, you would not only benefit your people, but save sinners, and that you would also exalt the Lord Jesus Christ. And we ask for these mercies in his worthy name. Amen. Well, if you haven't already, turn in your Bibles, whether a paper copy or an electronic copy, to Mark chapter 4. And as Pastor Lush has already indicated, our focus will be on verses 35 through 41. And I will not re-read that passage, but I will refer to that passage in this message. So Mark chapter 4 and verses 35 to 41. And what I would like you to see from this passage are four main headings. And I think these headings are very simple so that even the youngest child here can understand these headings. So in this passage, we see a great purpose, first of all. Secondly, a great storm. And thirdly, a great contrast. And fourthly, a great calm. So a great purpose a great storm, a great contrast, and a great calm. Concerning the great purpose, notice, first of all, a departure and destination. While living on this earth, the Lord Jesus Christ was consistently taken up with his responsibility to proclaim the gospel to sinners. And on this occasion, recorded in this chapter, he had been preaching to a very large mixed multitude of people. So it included his disciples, it included unbelievers, there on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And having taught these people many truths, such as the parable of the sower, the parable of the mustard seed, the Lord now purposed to leave them in order to preach the gospel to others. The people of every village throughout Israel needed to hear the gospel. That is that there is free and full forgiveness for all of your sins, whatever they may be, through repentance and trusting in Jesus Christ alone. And that gospel that Jesus proclaimed when he was on earth is still the same gospel. And it is for the youngest child here this morning, as well as the oldest individual and everyone in between. There's free, full forgiveness for all of your sins through repentance from them, turning away from them, and trusting in Christ alone. And that was the Lord's great purpose. And therefore, on this occasion, he had to leave the portion where he was at the Sea of Galilee. He had to leave that side of the Sea of Galilee, travel to the other side, so that others would hear this exceedingly good news. His departure from the people on the western shore of the Sea of Galilee was not unkindness, 
but it was a manifestation of the Lord's selfless love for needy sinners everywhere. So that was the departure and destination. But notice, secondly, an essential companion. The disciples left the multitude following the instructions of their Lord as he told them, we need to leave here. And they took Jesus with them, we're told, even as he was into the boat. The Lord was no doubt exhausted from his continual labors of preaching and teaching, not only to the multitude, but to his disciples from very early morning until the evening time. And though their master, the Lord Jesus, was mentally and emotionally and physically and some ways spiritually spent, you have to remember he was truly man as well as truly God, they would not enter the boat without him. And though he was in that condition of exhaustion, he was their absolutely essential companion as well as leader. And therefore, the Lord must be with them. And so Mark tells us that they took Jesus even as he was, bone-weary, fatigued, into the boat. Now in heaven, the Lord Jesus Christ continues to be truly man and truly God, the God-man. But he's no longer subject to those states of weariness in his state of exaltation. And though he's not physically present with us, he is present with us by his Holy Spirit. And we ourselves must understand we always need him as our essential companion. Because without him, like the disciples on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, we can do nothing. So that's the great purpose. But now, secondly, a great storm. In the parallel history in Matthew's gospel, Matthew used the Greek word seismos to describe this powerful storm on the Sea of Galilee. And that word is usually translated as earthquake. And the English word seismograph, which some of you would have heard in the news from time to time, refers to an instrument that measures and records the motion of the ground during an earthquake. And that's the word that Mark uses here in Mark chapter 4 to describe this storm on the Sea of Galilee. But of course, this was no earthquake. This storm was actually an enormous sea quake, as it were, in a lake that was 13 miles long, seven and a half miles wide, surrounded by mountains, and the sea itself was 680 feet below sea level. So a great storm. And notice the wind, what Mark tells us about the wind. Positioned as it was physically, the Sea of Galilee often had these kinds of storms. Not, not every week, not even every month, but it did happen. It was not common for the cooler air from the mountains to come down upon the warm air above the Sea of Galilee, and it created a tempestuous wind. And in verse 37 of Mark 4, Mark calls this a storm of wind, using a Greek word which actually denotes a hurricane, a whirlwind that breaks forth into furious gusts of wind, 
whipping across the Sea of Galilee. So what Mark is describing here and Matthew is describing here is both a sea quake and a hurricane combined together. And so this was not an ordinary storm. It was a mega storm. The waves were told, not surprisingly, the waves of water began to continually beat into the boat and crash against it with violence, filling the boat with water. And this wooden fishing boat had 13 men in it, the Lord Jesus Christ included, and it was being tossed up and down by the waves, and they were being soaked to their bones with water. And the noise would have been deafening. You need to stop and think and put yourself in a hurricane situation in southern Florida. And then if you're in that kind of a situation, you know that there's not only the rain and the wind, but there's also the deafening noise. And that's what was the experience of these individuals in the boat. And they were beginning to fear that the boat would sink down to the bottom of the Sea of Galilee, 140 feet below them. So that's the great storm. But notice now a great contrast. First of all, a deep sleep. A deep sleep. Now, at first thought, it may seem unbelievable that the Lord Jesus was asleep through all of the stormy wind, through all of the crashing waters, Through all of that deafening noise, it may seem unbelievable that he was asleep. But he was asleep. He was in such a deep sleep because of all that he had been doing for days and even all that he had been doing in this very past day. And if you've ever talked to somebody, somebody, let's say, in the armed forces who's been on some sort of military Uh, exercise or in real warfare, and they're not getting sleep, and they're doing a lot of physical activity and mental activity, etc., when it does come time to sleep, they sleep like a rock on the ground, and nothing will wake them up. And you see, that's what's happened here to the Lord Jesus Christ. Through all of that expending of physical, mental, emotional energy nonstop for over 14 hours, at least the past day, probably many days, he is now in deep sleep. And the Lord uh, God would have us realize our Savior is indeed truly man. He can be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. He can empathize with us and all of our human weaknesses. But notice not only a deep sleep, but secondly, a gripping fear. In stark contrast to the calm and deep sleep of the Lord Jesus in the midst of this raging storm was the terrifying fear that gripped all of the disciples in the boat. Their terse Reproving words revealed their overwhelming fear. Teacher, do you think they said it that way? With all the noise, with all the waves, with the storm, do you think they said, Teacher, do you not care that we perish? I doubt it. They probably yelled out, 
Teacher, do you not care that we perish? You see, to the disciples, to a man, believed that they were about to be utterly destroyed and die. And at least four of those disciples were experienced fishermen on that lake. Peter, Andrew, James, and John. They were not unfamiliar with ordinary storms, but this was not an ordinary storm. And the noise of that storm would have caused these disciples to yell out, Teacher, do you not care that we perish? They wanted to awaken him from his deep sleep. Mark, Matthew, and Luke want us to behold this stark contrast between the calm sleep of the Lord Jesus Christ and the overwhelming fear of the disciples. And the gospel writers want us to learn from this. Now, I do not believe that it was wrong for the disciples to be afraid in the midst of this storm. It would have been unnatural for them to not be afraid. If I'm hiking in the forest and a black bear approaches me, and it sees me, and it starts coming toward me, for me to stand there and do nothing and say, well, I'm not afraid, would be inhuman and unnatural. I should be afraid of a black bear coming toward me. I should act upon that, you see. So the disciples in the boat had good reason to be afraid. But there was something wrong. They were being controlled by their fears, and they forgot all of the many things that they had learned about the Lord Jesus Christ. They temporarily forgot that their Savior, at least for the twelve, the, 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 the not, excuse me, the eleven who are real disciples, excluding Judas, they forgot about the Lord's constant love and care for them. They forgot about his manifestations of his power and provisions for them, feeding the 4,000 on one occasion. They forgot temporarily about his unchanging faithfulness. They forgot about the fact that he was right there with them. So on this occasion... Would he really permit them to be drowned in the Sea of Galilee? He's there with them in the boat. You see, unbelief, the sin of unbelief, had temporarily gripped their hearts and minds in the midst of this storm on the Sea of Galilee. So we see this stark contrast between the Lord and these disciples. But now notice in the fourth place, a great calm, a great calm. First of all, omnipotent words. Mark tells us that the Lord awoke and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, peace be still. He spoke words, and unlike my words, they were words of omnipotence. And in the midst of this furious storm, the Lord Jesus calmly asserted his sovereign authority over all creation with his words of omnipotence. 
And the immediate result was that there was a great calm, a mega calm in the air and in the sea, so that the water was now instantaneously as smooth as glass. And if you've ever been in a boat on a large lake where a storm comes upon that lake and boat, and then the storm passes by, the waters of that lake do not instantly become calm and smooth. It takes time. But on this occasion, when the Lord spoke, peace be still, immediately there was indeed calmness throughout the entire Sea of Galilee. And so from this history, let us learn and remember that the same Lord Jesus Christ is not only almighty over creation, but he is almighty even over spiritual realities and difficulties. He is almighty over the reality of the devil. He is almighty over the reality of sins. He's almighty over the reality of trials in this life. And it doesn't matter what your situation in life is, the Lord Jesus Christ is the same today as he was in the days with the disciples on the sea. So those are the Lord's omnipotent words, which produced a great calm. But notice from verse 40 of Mark chapter 4, searching words, searching words. He said unto them, Why, why are you fearful? Do you not yet have faith? Whenever the Lord asked questions, his purpose was always to bring the individual or individuals to examine themselves in the light of his teaching and whenever necessary to repent and to trust in the Lord. And heart-searching questions from the Word of God, from the Lord Jesus Christ, or even from a godly Christian friend, heart-searching questions do this if they are not immediately rebuffed by the hearer. So notice the Lord's first question to the disciples. Why are you fearful? He wanted his disciples to examine their hearts and answer that question so that they would repent and be transformed. Now, I've already acknowledged earlier in this message that there was a legitimate fear in this situation. The storm was terrifying and unusual. It was not an ordinary storm. And the Lord Jesus understood this. But the Lord also knew that the fear of the disciples included an unjustifiable fear. And behind that carnal fear was the evil and wretched sin of unbelief. In the midst of this storm, Although the Lord was physically present with them in the boat, the disciples acted as though he was miles away and they were filled with fear, carnal fear. 
they had quickly forgotten the many miracles which they had seen the Lord accomplish. They had quickly forgotten the numerous truths which the Lord had declared to them. And if they had remembered in that fearful storm the miracles of the Lord, if they had remembered the truths which he had proclaimed to them, if they remembered these things, they would have not needed to have been fearful in the midst of that powerful storm because their almighty and faithful Savior was there in the boat with them. And you see, we often as Christians are guilty of the same thing. I have never been in a stormy sea like that. But I have been on a Boeing 777 flying from Hong Kong on 16 hours back to Newark, New Jersey. And three hours into the flight, the pilot says over the loudspeaker, flight attendants, please take your jump seats. Please put away all of the service items. Passengers, for the next two hours or so, we will have unusual turbulence. Please stay in your seats. And the pilot sounded very calm. And then for the next, it wasn't two hours because I timed it. It was four hours. And all of my travels, I've never experienced anything like it. This Boeing 77, 777, with like three seats, an aisle, four seats, an aisle, three seats, was going up and down, up and down, up and down. And things were falling all over the place. You could hear it. And I said, Lord, I am a Christian. I should not be afraid, but I have to confess I'm afraid. How in the world is this massive airplane doing this in the air? Lord, I don't want to die. Lord, why should I be afraid of dying? I'm a Christian. And then I thought of this passage. And I said, Lord, this is so wrong. I I can be afraid, but I shouldn't be afraid in one sense. I need to be believing. You are in sovereign control of this plane. I don't need to fear. You are my faithful Savior. I don't need to fear. I don't want to be unbelieving like the disciples and think, Lord, do you not care? I mean, the Lord does care. He did care. We need to be on our guard against the sin of unbelief in the midst of fearful situations. But notice the second question of the Lord. Have you not yet faith? The Lord further probed the hearts of his disciples knowing full well that 11 of the 12 indeed did have true saving faith. But on this occasion, in this storm, their faith faltered. And unbelief, as I said, gained a temporary ascendancy. Their eyes, their minds, their hearts focused and dwelt upon their difficult and trying circumstances which they could see. They could not only see, they could feel, they could hear. They were focusing on the here and now, you see. And again, it was right that they wake up the Lord from his deep sleep to obtain his help. 
But as they woke him, as we've already seen, they exclaimed, almost accusing him. Indeed, I think they were accusing him. Do you not care? And amazingly, the Lord was not insulted by their accusatory question. I mean, if my son or daughter comes to me and says, Dad, don't you care? I mean, I think to myself, well, what do you, of course I care. Why are you saying that to me? But the Lord Jesus did not respond in any carnal way to them. But he did deal with them faithfully. Where was their trust in their omnipotent Lord at that point in time? Where was their confidence in his unchanging love? Dear Christian, that's what you need to think of when you are in the storms of this life. It may not be a physical storm like the one on the Sea of Galilee, but it may be a stormy emotional reality due to sickness, disease, or even death, such as the death of our dear friend and sister, mother and grandmother, Mrs. Mary Barker. It may... But maybe some other trial in your life, whatever it is, you need to remember, if you are a genuine Christian, that God's love for you has not changed, will not change, does not change. He himself is the unchanging God, and his love for you does not change, though your circumstances have changed, Though you have trials in your life, troubles in your life, disappointments in your life, whatever they may be, you need to remember the truth from the Bible about God and the Lord Jesus Christ. They're unchanging, the triune God's unchanging love for you, a Christian. You need to remember the Lord's faithful promises. That's what the disciples should have done on this occasion. And so the Lord's searching question, have you not yet faith? Again, he knew that 11 of the 12 had true saving faith. But he says, have you not yet faith? It was meant to humble them, correct them, turn them back to the Lord, strengthen their faith in the Lord so that they would experience a fresh and great calm, not just outwardly on the Sea of Galilee, but inwardly in their own hearts and souls. So we see the omnipotent words of the Lord, the searching words of the Lord, and now notice, thirdly, the inquiring words. We're told in verse 41, they feared exceedingly and said one to another, the disciples to each other, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Well, they didn't know who he was. And yet they didn't fully know who the Lord Jesus Christ was. And with every passing day, of course, they learned more from the Lord about himself through his instruction, through his miracles, through all of his activities, They were learning more and more about the unique God-man, the only Savior of sinners, the Lord Jesus Christ. And in mercy, the boat was not overwhelmed by the water. And in mercy, the disciples were now asking one another this question. 
and it was forcing them to focus their minds and hearts upon the reality that this Jesus Christ is indeed the almighty Savior. And so they probed one another with a question, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? And correctly answering that question and embracing the truth of that answer and embracing the Savior himself will always produce, I believe will always produce, a great calm in the believing soul. Embracing the truth about who Jesus Christ is, embracing Jesus Christ himself by faith, will produce a great calm in the believing soul. And so each one of us here this morning, we should ask that question. Who then is this Jesus Christ that even the wind and the sea obey him? Who is he? Who is he in relationship to me? So, brethren, friends, in this passage, we've seen a great purpose, a great storm, a great contrast, and a great calm. But now let's have a consideration of some lessons from this passage. And the first lesson from this passage is this. Christians are not exempt from the trials of this life and their attendant fears. Christians are not exempt from the trials of this life and their attendant fears. I mean, isn't that plain from this history? Aside from Judas, these were genuine disciples. They were in the midst of a big trial there on the Sea of Galilee. The fact that they were disciples didn't exempt them from that trouble on the sea. Man is born to trouble as the sparks fly upward. In this world, the Lord said, you will have tribulation. But I think that most Christians, or at least I can speak for myself, I would like no trials. I would like no troubles, no disappointments. I would like only joy, peace, and comfort. But that is for heaven. That is the hope of heaven. On this earth, there will be tribulations. So what are you to do as you live in this world, dear Christian, with its trials, with its sicknesses, with its diseases, with death? Fix your faith upon the living Lord Jesus Christ, who has promised never to leave you or forsake you here on this earth. Read, dear Christian, the word of God. Hear the word of God. Soak the truth of the Bible into your heart, into your very soul every day. For example, from Isaiah 43, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. 
and through the rivers they shall not overflow you. And when you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon you. Why? For I am Jehovah your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. So those who are sorrowing legitimately because of the passing of Mrs. Mary Barker, Joy and Bob, Allison and Jonathan, grandchildren, friends here in Grace Church, remember that indeed there are tribulations in this world, like the disciples on the Sea of Galilee. But remember also, as a disciple, the Lord Jesus Christ has promised to be with you, and he will never, never forsake you or leave you. But he will be with you as you pass through the rivers, the waters, the fires, the trials of this life. Christians are not exempt from the trials of this life and their fears. But secondly, it is through such trials that the Lord teaches his disciples valuable lessons, which usually cannot be learned in any other way. We don't like the trials. We don't like the troubles. We don't like the sicknesses. We don't like any of these realities. But the Lord teaches his disciples valuable lessons, which usually cannot be learned in any other way. Trials like the passing of a loved mother and grandmother. Trials and disappointments with an unconverted adult child or children. Trials like hearing the news that a loved one is going legally blind at 35. Whatever the trials may be, they rip open the heart. They pierce the soul with grief. They show us our vulnerability. They expose our helplessness. They expose, again, as we've already seen, sins such as unbelief. And the Lord uses these trials to make us more like Jesus Christ. That's what he does. And you learn spiritual lessons and become more like Christ in such seasons of trial that you would not learn in seasons of peace. It is then that you also often, maybe always, experience afresh the loving kindness of God in Jesus Christ. You experience that reality that God in sovereign grace delivered me from my sins. 
He's holding me in his hands. He is faithfully keeping me. He is making me more like Christ. He's using this sorrow, this trial, to wean me from this world, make me long more for heaven and for Christ himself. When that is happening for the Christian, the trial that was bitter becomes sweet because it is making you more like Christ. And you need to remember, dear Christian, in the midst of such trials, the words of the Lord Jesus where he said, I give unto my sheep eternal life, and they shall never perish. Mrs. Mary Barker has not perished. She is now in the presence of her Savior. And every believer, the Lord says, I give to them eternal life. They shall never perish. And no one shall snatch them out of my hand, the Lord declared. Faith, you see, holds on to such words of promise in the Bible. These words of the Lord Jesus in the midst of real trials, troubles, suffering, sorrows. Faith holds on to such Promises from the word of God, even in the midst of heartbreak. And when you understand that, dear Christian, you realize this is indeed the pathway I will choose. I will not choose any other pathway. I will choose the pathway God in Christ has given me. Though my heart is breaking, yet it is the right pathway And God is using it for his glory and for my good. So it's through such trials that the Lord teaches his disciples like those in the boat on the Sea of Galilee and like us today, valuable lessons which usually cannot be learned in any other way. But thirdly and finally, the Lord Jesus Christ is the gracious, omnipotent, faithful and loving Savior of sinners. Notice I didn't say he is a gracious Savior. He is a gracious Savior, but he's the only Savior. He is the gracious, omnipotent, faithful, and loving Savior of sinners. And that's abundantly plain from this passage as well. These disciples were sinners. The 11 were believers, but they were still sinners. They were not perfect They were not righteous, but you see, Jesus Christ still faithfully loved each one of those 11. And if you are a genuine Christian, you need to remember that. Sometimes Christians focus too much on their own sin that remains in their hearts and lives. I'm not saying you should ignore that, but you have to look out of yourself in the midst of trouble, in the midst of perplexity, out of yourself to Jesus Christ, the living Savior, go to the word of God and remind yourself that Jesus Christ is my omnipotent, faithful, loving Savior. That has not changed. And so, for those who are here this morning, whether young children or older, who have not yet trusted in Christ alone, that's what you should do. God, through his word this morning, 
is calling everyone in this auditorium to turn away from your real sins and trust in Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sins. You can ask the Lord to speak to your soul, not audibly, but truly and really, to speak words of omnipotence. Lord, speak those words of peace. Be still to my heart that is really troubled as a sinner. Lord, I have no rest. I have no peace. But you can give me that peace. And so you are to cry out to him even this day for mercy, forgiveness, salvation. So, brethren, may God help us to learn from this passage in Mark's gospel and to take to heart what we have learned about ourselves and about our Savior. So let's close now in prayer. Father, we ask that you would take your truth and write it upon our hearts and that you would so work in each one of us that we would not be unbelieving but believing, believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, believing in all of your holy word. And We ask that you would, by your spirit through the word of God, give us spiritual sight to see how wonderful and gracious and omnipotent and loving and faithful Jesus Christ is as the Savior of sinners. We ask for these mercies, pleading his merits and blood. Amen.